0: had to go learn all of it and the only way to go learn it is to be able to ask people like hey can you teach me this I don't know and I want to learn and here's why I want to learn and so it gave me the opportunity to go learn that and it also helped me with the learner mindset of knowing that I can't be satisfied just knowing what I know today I want to know more I I want to learn more I want to do more right I want to be able to make a bigger influence and so That mindset has just carried me from role to role, even to the role I'm in today. Welcome to another episode of the
1: Elevate Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney McGuire. Here on the show, we're all about products and people who make an impact, interviewing founders, entrepreneurs, tech experts, growth marketers, anyone who's been extremely successful in growing and scaling a business, a product, a mission, and creating a ton of income along the way, My number one goal is to tease out the tangible tools that you can apply in your own life, your career, your business to scale your own income and impact as well. So today on the show, we have Brent Rudwick. Brent is the head of product for Adobe's Workfront product. It is their most innovative and influential product that's really leading the spear for user acquisition. He asked me to bleep out some of the numbers he was sharing because they're proprietary, but let's just say he's responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars of new value being created at this company, and this year alone, they've grown 42% year over year with organic growth. So Brent is an expert at scaling technology products and building things that people like. He's also an expert with EQ and leadership. So in this conversation, Brent is just extremely candid. He gives so many tools that whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in tech, or you just want to increase your influence. Throughout your career, this is a fantastic episode with tons of very practical tips that you can apply. So, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Brent Root. That you, this is the first gun case background. Like people are all about their background with podcasts, and this is like my favorite unique back, backdrop that I've seen in a
0: hot minute. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> Stripe Marlin from Cabo. I am an avid outdoorsman, so those are whitetail mounts, and then yeah, it's gun safe. I love it. Usually we do like a
1: formal intro, but I want to leave that part in. So for everyone listening, hopefully you're watching on video on Spotify or YouTube. And if you're just listening, Brent has an awesome backdrop with his gun case and some game that he's hunted and caught. So we were just chatting about that. But anyways, Brent, welcome to the show. I'm so grateful to have you. Thanks for having Awesome. Why don't we start? We're going to get, we're going to go back and, and hear your full story, but why don't you just set the context for us? When it comes to your software career, what are you currently doing and what are you most proud of? Like some of the things so we can yeah, understand no, why true. this is a great combo to, to hear from you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I lead, so I work at Adobe. I lead at Adobe. I lead an application that has really become growth engine for Adobe, specifically within the digital experience business. And it is Workfront. So that's my responsibility. And Workfront, when Adobe first acquired Workfront, was about a dollars and we were on pace, we're about forty-two to fifty percent or so growth this year. And the organic category is only growing at sixteen to seventeen percent. So we are outpacing the category growth in a very big way, uh, which is really exciting. So we are on pace to to finish substantially higher than where Adobe acquired us several years ago. And Adobe, like I said, is very excited about the growth trajectory of the Workfront application. So truly honored for the opportunity to lead the business. And there's a phenomenal team that is making sure that Workfront is successful at Adobe. So that's been a lot of fun. Amazing. I have a ton
1: of follow-up questions, even on just that intro. And just to help set more context for everyone listening. So the first thing I'd love for you to do is, can you explain Workfront as a product? To anyone yeah. not familiar.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about what WorkPrint does, we call it the official system of record for work. And you might think, what does that mean? Let me put it this in some context. In a lot of organizations, when you think about what is your single source of truth for employees, typically that's an application like Workday. When you think about in organizations, what is their source of truth for their financials? A lot of times that's SAP. As an example, that's become the household application. When you think about and what the primary ticketing system is, right, that that has like a service now, for example, the reality is everybody across multiple departments all have work to do. And when you ask the team, what's your system to track your work? How do you know that the initiatives that you want to make progress on, the outcomes that you've set out to to drive towards a given time frame? How do you know you're progressing against those outcomes? And what's your source of truth? And so that's where Workfront comes in. So it's the collaborative work management category. It's a category that was created about three, you know, about four years ago. And we are the leader in the space. So when you think about competitors like Monday.com or Asana or Wrike or ClickUp, those are a lot of the competitors that are in the space. We just, we've uniquely created an offering That scales to the enterprise, gives the enterprise the capabilities they need so that we can really appeal to a very complex use case. But then we also appeal a bit down market for the more simple use cases as well. Our niche, I would say, has predominantly been in the marketing space. So really helping marketers who are not necessarily process oriented. They're more creative oriented and giving them an application that helps them be able to deliver on the content that they need to get built, be able to track where there's risks in that content being developed in time so that ultimately they can deliver on uh, speed to revenue in terms of capitalizing on opportunities in the market. So that's a very large opportunity for us to help fill that gap for marketers.
1: That's very cool.
0: I'm sorry, I have to
1: just rabbit hole a few times so I have a full understanding. So when you say you're focused on helping creatives, can you explain, and I appreciated that description, can you give a few examples of features that differentiate you guys from those other platforms that do make this a more,
0: yeah. like, exciting product for those creatives? Absolutely. So, I would say that first and foremost, to say that creatives are excited to use an application to make <laughs> their work—I don't know if I would put those in the same sentence. I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm an optimist. Yeah, well, but what I would say is. If you're a leader of an organization and you know that your organization's been tasked getting certain campaigns out the door, ultimately, you're on the hook to make sure that those campaigns are done and they get out the door. And there's a whole host of work that has to happen behind getting those out the door, right? You've got to make sure your briefs are written. You've got to make sure your agencies have the information they need. You've got to make sure that ultimately the creative gets built. You've got to make sure that it is reviewed in an adequate way so that you can actually capture the, the audit trail in terms of review and approve. And then ultimately you have to be able to push that content to a final repository so that it gets into the market where it's going to be delivered to customers in the form of an experience. And so it's all those steps required to make sure that content gets done and built and delivered to the end user, while at the same time, making sure that the metadata, which once again, an average creative, metadata, and a creative, they're like, no thanks, I don't want to deal with metadata, <laughs> I just want to deal with the creative, and yeah. it helps you. That's the nice thing about works is as you capture the brief, the fields that end up in the brief as the asset is built, the, the metadata just travels with the asset. So when it's stored, all of the query data associated with that asset is stored with the asset. So now when folks want to know, hey, where was this asset used? I remember I ran such and such campaign. It makes it very easy to go find existing content so that they can reuse it, retouch it, resize it, and use it.
1: Ooh, very cool.
0: That's awesome. I, at first I was
1: like, I'm surprised I haven't like stumbled across this in my own work experience. And it's probably because I don't, I'm not necessarily in that sub niche, but it definitely sounds like clearly based on the numbers you guys are delivering value for your user base. That's fantastic to hear. Just continue because you just brought up some really fascinating things that I'd love to just close the loop on. You mentioned this year you guys have experienced forty percent, forty percent growth since acquisition. This, is what this year alone, we're we're at, uh, we're at a
0: forty, we're at a forty-two percent growth this year alone. Wow, that's fantastic. What do you attribute that to? So I would say a couple of things. I would say COVID, the notion of COVID. So let me rewind a little bit. There was a time when organizations realized we have to find a better way to manage what's happening in our organization. However, like the biggest competitor that we'd faced, I would say prior to 2020 was just status quo. I don't want to change. I'm in spreadsheets. I use email. I have shared drives to store documents. And I will tell you that covid completely changed everybody's mindset because it was an accelerator to drive everything to remote work. And the only way to manage remote work is when you have a single source of truth that you can track what's happened. How are we doing? Are we on track? Are we not on track? So I would say after COVID, we saw a substantial uptick in the interest in the market in terms of a solution That helps provide that central source of truth around what's really happening in the organization in terms of risks or on time delivery. Mm -hmm. So I would say first and foremost, that's when we experience the greatest growth. I would say this year specifically, we've done a ton of work to integrate work with some of the other Adobe applications that already have substantial uptake in the market. And anytime you start to build those integrations, now you go to that customer base and you start to talk about the value of bringing these two solutions together, which just Mm. becomes an accelerator on growth that was already there. That makes a ton of sense. So if you're already a Photoshop user,
1: Premiere Pro user, After Effects, those are the few that I know off the top of my head, but essentially part of their existing workflow upstream or downstream, it plugs in, their experience is seamless. It's all within the same creative house. So it's like a no brainer for them to choose that tool. Yeah, very cool. I'm curious because the numbers always just sound really cool when you say it. So you said it, you got the company was that acquired. Was that valuation or yearly revenue? No, that was revenue. Okay. What are you guys at now, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Oh, we should finish the year somewhere close to
1: dollars That's freaking cool. And over, what was the, how many years did it take? You guys acquired prior to COVID or was that during COVID? In December of 2020. Got it. Okay. Changing work styles, changing work culture drove a lot of that appetite for and curiosity, willingness to change. I think everyone now, whether they're in the office or not, now does see the value in these online collaborative tools because they're just way more efficient and way more effective in general. Outside of that, so do you think just an opportunity to hear more about your strategy brain? Is there anything else strategically that you think the decisions you guys had made have led to that growth outside of some of those like more meta market mover type things? And also your positioning
0: with the other products. I would say those are the big movers. It's not that it's, there's nothing. I don't think that there's anything specific to something that we have done. We happen to build a really good product and we knew that there was need in the market. But I will say that like with several technology applications or spaces, COVID became an accelerator. And Mm -hmm. I think that is by far contributed to a significant growth in multiple applications as it relates to managing hybrid work, right? So in the office, remote, how do you bring all that together around a source
1: of truth? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's really, I feel like it's an easy value
1: prop to convince companies of how much time is spent with inefficiency or how much time is wasted with inefficiencies. And a lot of these companies probably have less overhead costs with office spaces and things like that. They're more willing to invest in their digital infrastructure. So really cool space to be in regardless. Yep. Very cool, absolutely. Love that. But now that we've been able to run all those to through the end, I'd love to step back. And now that we've set the context for yourself, the product you're working on, some of the awesome success you found as a leader with Adobe, How did, like, how did you end up in software in general?
0: What's been your journey? You shared a little bit of this, and I'm super excited to hear more about it. But why don't you walk us through? I will tell you, my career path has taken many twists and turns. So I I started out in the food business. I think it's easier story to tell starting from where it started to where I landed in technology. But it started in the food business. I love working in food. If you've ever worked in the food business and within, like, the grocery retailer space, It's just, it's a fascinating space. understanding consumer mindsets and how consumers buy. And so it was a great time. Ended up getting acquired by Tyson foods and Tyson foods being that they were a branded company and a consumer branded company. I got the chance to really learn what it was like to work inside of a consumer packaged goods company and kind of classically trained, if you will, around that mindset. Several years in, we were living in Arkansas. And my family's originally from just south of San Antonio. And so we were looking at coming back to San Antonio. And USAA was actually hiring a brand manager. I truly thought that the job host was incorrect. I thought they meant a branch manager because it's a financial services company. I was like, (laughs) I've never really seen a financial services hire a brand manager. And this was in early 2000s when financial services companies idea of marketing predominantly was, We're going to just bombard you with credit card offers and direct mail pieces and hope at some point you open. And so long story short, I applied and the next day I got a phone call. And when they called me, I stopped them and I'm like, I got to ask, why are you interested in, I don't have financial services background. What is it that you're interested in? And they were like, you're right. You don't. And we don't want somebody who has a financial services background. We have enough of those in-house. We need somebody who understands how to manage a brand. And so that gave me an opportunity to take what I had learned around brand management at Tyson and bring that mindset to USAA. And there were several of us hired at that time. And it was great journey, great time working in that role, had the opportunity to end up sponsorship marketing, uh, which was a lot of fun got into a strategy role, got a chance to really understand the business and did that for several years. And then that opened the door for me to go become chief marketing officer for a mid-sized bank. So then I went and did that for several years. And as that progressed, I had several friends of mine that had started a consultancy. And so I had the opportunity to go join them in the consultancy back in San Antonio. And that's that was my entrance into technology. So in that consultancy, they predominantly... We're consulting around optimization and how to optimize your marketing, stack, how to optimize lead management, right? How to help make sure that folks are taking full advantage of the money they're spending in media. And technology plays a huge role in it. And so I found myself in a role of taking everything I knew about marketing, but starting to apply it from a technology standpoint and ended up standing up marketing operations for Charles Schwab. And it was in that role that I owned a big part of the marketing technology stack and managing the marketing technology stack for how we optimize the marketing spend. And that then formed my experience in how an application like Workfront would be used. I actually brought Workfront into Schwab, scaled it across the entire enterprise. And and the CEO of Workfront and I became very close. I (laughs) sat on their advisory board. And it wasn't too long, then I ended up hiring on at, at Workfront, and then that was in January of 2020. And in December of 2020, Adobe acquired Workfront, and so I was at it. And then, of course, now I'm here today. That's a very cool journey. You didn't tell me about the farm. You have to go back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You started.
1: Uh, you have to. Te- you have to tell
0: like the very beginning too, so that we understand how you. Yeah. Where you uh, I was born and raised just South of San Antonio. My grandfather owned uh, as, as typically in Texas and South Texas, quite a bit of land. And we grew up farming and ranching. So we ran cattle, we ran several fields of hay and Milo and corn. And that's how I grew up. When you grow up in that environment, from the time you're old enough to see over the top of a steering wheel, you're driving a tractor. <laughs> but once you're old enough to start picking bales of hay up, you're throwing hay you're working cows. And so that's just the way I grew up, which I love because form it shaped who I am. And it helped me understand hard work, work ethic, and really just there is, there's not an option to not do it. It's your, it's part of the family. Like you have to do it, right? But it's, it just teaches you perseverance. And sometimes there's things you don't want to do, and it doesn't matter. You got to go do them. And Mm. that just, it really helps. And I
1: love that. Appreciate you sharing. That was exactly where I was going to go with it until you shared that. I have to imagine that having that life experience has helped you infinitely because people might be like, oh, that's really interesting that someone from that background did all these extremely you know, badass <laughs> life experiences, but clearly you've had life
0: experience that has shaped you into the person that can handle that. Yeah, Very Absolutely. Cool. I like to say that life experiences, even though you may not, like when you're in the moment, you may not understand why what's happening is happening. When you look on those experiences, you're like, okay, now I understand why that happened and this happened because it helped shape the path that I'm on today. I think at times we, I'm guilty of this as well, that we want to know what our path is. We want to know, like, all right, what's the next step and what's the next step? And the reality is sometimes you just got to live in the moment and trust that the path that you're on is the right. I love that. I, I feel like that's a really great mindset to
1: step into. Of just like what's available for me here in this thing. Like I could spend all my mental energy being in victim mindset or annoyed or just bummed out, but it's, if you choose the perspective of. I can learn things, I can apply them. I can also choose that I don't want to do this anymore if that's the choice I want to make, but you always have a choice to make. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, very cool. You clearly do have all these really profound like successes under your cap from in many different industries. And it leads me to a question that you can interpret however you'd like, but I'd love to hear from you. What do you think are the things, whether they be other character traits or just skill sets or tools in your tool belt that you learned along the way that have allowed you to be so adaptable and find success in all these different industries with different tasks? Of course, they're building on each other. And I know you've learned a ton of things along the way that I'm sure would help others as they're embarking on their tech career, whether they're in a corporation or even starting their own thing.
0: Yeah, I will tell you, working in tech, it's fascinating because I think that an individual's ability to imagine and dream what they can't do is the single limitation to someone's. I, I really do. And the reason I say that is if you would have told me when I graduated college with a food science degree that I was going to be sitting here today talking to you about working in software, I would told you, there's no way like that. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> the reason that I'm here today is because I am open to learning. And something I've had to learn is to be open to not knowing the answer. And so many times when we come into a new role, it's, oh my gosh, we have to establish that we, they hired us because we know the answer and because we understand what we need to do. I feel like there is so much more to learn in just asking questions and learning and really filling in the gaps in what you don't. Instead of feeling like you have to have the answer of what you know. Because I will tell you, when I stepped into the role in financial services, the only thing I knew about financial services is that I had a checking account and I had a credit card. That was about the extent, right? I wasn't super educated in finances. I had to go learn all of it. And the only way to go learn it is to be able to ask people like, hey, can you teach me this? I don't know. And I want to learn. And here's why I want to learn. And so it gave me the opportunity to go learn that. And it also helped me with the learner mindset of knowing that I can't be satisfied just knowing what I know today. I want to know more. I I want to learn more. I want to do more, right? I want to be able to make a bigger influence. And so that mindset has just carried me from role to role, even to the role I'm in today. Like I didn't start out running Workfront for Adobe. I started out in a little bit of a, a more lower role if you will and just in the 3 years that I've been at adobe I started out in more of a director role stepped into kind of a senior director role and now I'm sitting in a role of running the entire business and that's that that move happened because I was willing to go have the difficult conversations with the leaders I was willing to uh, step up and put my neck on the line for some decisions and sometimes put your neck on the line is costly but that's okay, right? You've got to be willing to do that for the team, so that you can actually accomplish where we are today. So, I feel like those are all super, super important in terms of a, a leader realizing their full
1: potential. Mm, I love that.
0: I think that was. I appreciate the way you articulated
1: that because you didn't just use a throwaway line. Like you, you gave us some context to go deeper in terms of like how to actually think about that. And it's actually fascinating. Before we hopped on this podcast, I was speaking with. His name was Minko and he's at Google and he's like a product lead on an open source project. But personality-wise, he's like very quiet, but like insanely intelligent. And his last piece of advice was basically the exact same thing for coders. It was like, if I could give you any advice, like Google apparently has this popular talk of the imposter, or I wrote it down, it was like the myth of the genius coder or something. And it's like, no one's actually any any better than you. It's just the willingness to get over that sense of fear and step forward and create and get excited. And if you can get really excited about a problem that needs to be solved, you're going to find crazy success. That's really cool to hear you share your own version of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's great advice. I love it. Very cool. I would love to hear, and and I really appreciated what you shared about what that mindset looks like for you when you step into a new role, because clearly it's happened many times. So what you're doing is working, but I want to even tease that out and go a bit deeper. What do you think, your leaders see in you if you had to zoom out and look at what a leader would see because they're opting into this like decision to give you more responsibility what are they seeing from you that they're excited about and why does it work the way it works
0: yeah i, I think there's a couple of things i i think first and foremost they trust that i have the subject matter expertise that will give them the ability <laughs> to up level how they engage, right? Because if if you don't have that level of trust, you feel like you have to have your fingers down in what's happening. But the minute that you have a leader that you're like, I don't have to worry, about I know they've got it. And if they need something, I know they're gonna come bring that up to me. So I think first and foremost is that they trust the subject matter expertise, that I understand the space and I understand the opportunity in the market. So I think that's incredibly important. I do think right behind that though, they also know that I will be very honest with them. Right? If I don't know the answer to something, I'm going to tell them. That's a great question. I'm, I'll go get the answer, but I will tell you. This was something my grandfather taught me when I was a little bitty kid. He's a son, which is pretty typical for Paul. He's a son. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that people are going to tell you. He's, but a man is only as good as his word. And he's, so if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. And I live and die by that. I tell a leader, I'm going to get this done by this date. I either get it done or I tell them as soon as I know it's not going to happen. Hey, it's not going to get done by this date. It's going to get done at this date. So I'm very honest, maybe sometimes to a fault, but I feel like that creates another layer of trust with executives where they feel like they can trust, I'm be honest with them and tell them bad news early beats bad news late. So I was, that's another huge piece. And then last but not least. I love people. Like, I am a people person. I engage with people. I enjoy being around people. And as a leader, like you, you have to have some of those qualities. Like you have to care about people. You have to care about the development of people. You have to care about people's careers. And I'm super passionate. That's One of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. And I was telling you before, I did another podcast about three hours before this internally at Adobe with like MBAs that have graduated in the last two years who are wanting to know, Hey, how do we grow? How do we develop? It's just something I'm super passionate about. And I think they see that in me. And so it gives them more of a reason to want to to increase the influence I have to continue to drive the business and to continue to develop.
1: Mm, I love that.
0: I love all those answers. When I look at my own career and product,
1: those are things that I aspire to do. And when I check back in with the relationships I have, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm There's always room to improve, but I'm like, cool. I feel like I have my own ways of stumbling into or creating those results. I won't say stumbling in because they're intentional, but for anyone who is maybe struggling with some of those things, I'd love for you to give us some examples. So the three things I have here, and you can change this list if you want, but just reading that back to the way I heard it, trust, honesty, honest communication, and, and genuinely caring. If you are stepping into a completely new company as let's just say like an entry-level product manager, what, do you, what are some things people could do, like actions they could take to really create those relationships in that sense of trust? And the one thing I'd left out was subject matter expertise. So I guess it's four things.
0: Yeah. I think first and foremost, if you're new, being, being proactive in learning, right? Don't wait for your leader to tell you, okay, here's your onboarding plan. You need to go talk to this person and you need to go talk to this person. Like you be proactive in getting in and hitting the ground run, right. and asking your leader, asking your peers, hey, who do I need to go talk to? What do I need to really learn? What's made you successful? Be curious, right? You've got to be curious in what others are doing around you that you see are respected and start to demonstrate some of those same behaviors, right? How do you start to build out your subject matter expertise? How do you establish trust? And the other thing I'll tell you is when you commit to do something, do it. When meetings start, be there on time, right? You tell a leader like, hey, I'll get that to you on Wednesday, close a business, get it to him on Wednesday of close a business. So I feel like just being consistent when you're establishing that level of trust is incredibly important. And then just being proactive in terms of what you can do to continue to grow and learn and develop any leader loves to see that because they're going to just, it just, it incentivizes a leader to want to do more for you because they can tell you genuinely want to grow.
1: I love that. Yeah, I think those are all
0: really good tips. Do you have any tips around like building
1: that sense of connection that you mentioned? The, like you said, you really care about people inherently and this almost it's like a silly question, but is it just like taking moments yeah. at the beginning of just like, checking in with people and having non, not always like objective oriented conversations, but really just getting to know the people.
0: That's what I was going to say. I think there's two ways. I think if you want to care if you can't, first of all, you can't fake this. That's the first thing I'll tell you. There is no faking like, Hey, what's the formula to show? I care. You (laughs) have to care, right? I think that's, I think is really important to talk about. However, how do you demonstrate that when you do care? You ask somebody like, hey, when you sit down, hey, how are you? How you been? How was your week? How was your weekend? Start the conversation caring about the person, not about what you need from them or what they need from you. Create that personal connection so that they feel like, wow, this person, I like talking to Delaney. He's awesome, right? He's able to make it really free-flowing. And I feel like that's how you make, that's how you establish that personal connection. Then I also think, I know that it's a crazy thing these days, but remember people's birthdays. That's not hard. When it's someone's birthday, say, hey, happy birthday. And the person's, whoa, you remembered my birthday? That's pretty cool. And we have technology today. It'll tell, right? It's not like you have to work there. Small things go a long ways with people. So I feel like that's, I think those are just several areas. There's a whole host of things as well. You do have to learn to be perceptive of others in conversations. And if you can tell somebody's not okay, maybe after the meeting, you just go up and say, hey, is everything okay? Are you all right? It lets folks know, wow, something's not okay with me. I may not talk to you about it and that's okay. But at least person knows you care, right? right? So I just think that there's, it's icing on the cake, but I feel like icing on the cake that allows you to grow and others to see you and build trust and confidence in you instead of feeling like, oh, that person, are they talking to you? Yeah. They just need something. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be known as the person you always need. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's something I try to
1: be very mindful of in, in my work, because I think one, you're working this 40 hour work week with these people for like potentially a decade. So you might as well become friends with them. And my early career, like there was not a great culture around me. And as I've grown in my career, fortunately, I've got some really great leaders and people around me and it's so much more fun and enjoyable. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad this existed because I didn't know that it could. But it's it's almost like the grease on the wheels for everything too. Like if you're a likable person, genuinely, you're going to have way less friction. And even because there's part, like you mentioned, you got where you are from hard conversations and the willingness to say the hard thing. It's much easier to say the hard thing when you've got 30 positive conversation stacked up with a person where you can find common ground and you can have a disagreement and it'd still be okay.
0: That's right. That's exact. I love that.
1: You touched on something when you were mentioning the other podcast you did earlier, where you were giving some feedback to these recent MBA grads, like really trying to recent yeah, MBAs that are working at Adobe on how they can effectively communicate and especially when it's with executives who don't have a lot of time. They need a lot of inf- complex information distilled down really simply, given your ability to do that at a high level, what recommendations do you have for people on how they approach that? And you did point out something before we talked that you you think it works because you enjoy it, or you really
0: enjoy this and you think that leads to your ability. So I'd love to, to speak to both of those sides of this. this yeah. So there's a couple of things I'll say. Uh, when you're talking to an executive, I think it's really important that you understand what the executive cares about. If you know what the executive cares about in terms of is this revenue, if, is this executive really worried about not hitting a revenue number in this quarter? Is this executive really worried about some renewal? that's not? Is this executive really worried about team morale? What is it the executive is really car- caring about? And what it is that you want to bring to them, you've got to be able to help tie it into something that you know they care about. So I think that's a, that's usually a big disconnect that I see when folks engage with executives is they bring you something and you're like, I really don't, care. I, I understand that you're saying that's a problem, it's really a problem for me. And then they're like, I don't understand. Like I brought you something and nothing was done with it. It's, it doesn't really solve a problem that I have today. So I think that's a big piece. I think the second piece to that is when they do bring you that problem that ties into the issue that you're having or what it is that is a priority for you. They have to be able to clearly and succinctly communicate something to you in about three to five minutes. Hmm. If they can't very quickly boil down what it is they're talking about, they're going to lose the executive. The executives, even though they'll be listening, they're not actively listening. Yeah, they're there's too all much confusion. On something else. Yeah, it's too much. And so I will tell you that something that I do when I hire leaders, one of the first things that I do with a in an interview. Is I'll say, so tell me about yourself. That is my opportunity to see, can they tell a clear, succinct story or can they? Need mm-hmm. And if in three to five minutes, I find myself like going to sleep or okay, like this is not, I know like they won't work. They're not gonna work in a leader role where I need them to be able to roll the story up and tell a succinct story. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's another, for individuals who are listening, that are like, Hey, what can I do to really stand out from others? Be able to tell your story in three to five minutes in a way that somebody really cares, right? That someone that's awesome. I really like this. So how can you tell your story in a clear, succinct way? The last thing I'll tell you, and this was some of what I talked about earlier is work ethic. If you want to stand out in today's environment work hard like i am i am an avid believer of work hard play hard i love to play and my team will tell you like hey when it's time to play we're gonna go play we're gonna have a great time but when it's time to work we're gonna roll our sleeves up and we're gonna work and i feel like work ethic is i'm not gonna say it's a lost art i do i would say that grit and folks just ability to persevere through things that maybe aren't easy or problems that aren't easy to solve. It's harder and harder to find these days. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to stand out, man, have that hard work ethic where you just will not quit and you have a relentless pursuit to solve whatever the problem is and you won't stop at anything until you solve it. I think that will really help folks stand out with some of those other traits. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that's almost the
1: foundation that gives you more bandwidth to grow and do all those other things that you mentioned earlier, all those other skills you can develop the subject matter expertise. If you can develop the grit curiosity question for you thought experiment for someone who maybe feels like they struggle with that. How can someone develop that? Is it just with a mental focus on it? Is it through like other practices not related to work?
0: That's a good question. I think at some point, every individual is motivated by something. They're motivated by something. I don't care what it is, but something motivates everybody. I think what folks have to ask themselves is, what are you motivated by? And if you can figure out what you're motivated by, like what drives you, I think that tapping into that becomes the fuel allows you to have that relentless pursuit of solving whatever it is you're setting out to solve. It might be the reason that you're not super passionate about whatever it is. That may not be the right job for you or it may not be the right field for you. It's something that you're like, yeah, it pays the bills, but I'm not passionate about it. You got to find something you're passionate about. And when you're passionate about something, like you don't have to try to find the desire. It's there. Right, You just give me a problem. And once you get the problem, you're like, all right, I'll work get after it. Like, I'm going to find the right resources. We're going to pull the right people together. We're going to solve this problem. But it's because you're passionate about it. So I feel like passion is something that I think folks have got to dial into. If they feel like maybe they've lost it, you got to ask if you've lost it. Or maybe you never had it. It's what are you passionate about? What drives you? What motivates you? And starting from that earlier step, I think is a good path to recovering. The ability to find that grit. Hmm. I love that answer. Personally,
1: cool. I think that really ties into something you well that you said earlier, which was around like, the biggest limiter in your career is not seeing the vision for what it can become. And I know I've had moments in my early career where I was just following that next step. Okay, I got this degree, what kind of job can I get with this degree? Okay, I have that job. And now I'm just in it. But I think, for me, one of the biggest like inflection points for me was when I started to take time. And it's not like people might think, I don't know what I'm passionate about, or I'm not sure what direction, but how often do people sit down and ask themselves those questions? Well, like, if you, I am mind blown by how much clarity I can come to by taking a pen and paper and just asking a question and like waiting till my pen just scribbles an answer. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but it, it's, it might sound silly. But if you sit down and ask those questions, I love that. I'm all about the mental gymnastics that can just like, sometimes you just, I told you earlier, I'm a an optimist potentially to a fault, but you can almost always hack your brain into believing something, whether you wanted to or not, or whether it serves you. But it's like this may not even be the job, but if you can connect the cognitive dots to how this job you don't like is creating income that allows you to invest in the thing you do so you can take the course or get the other job, you can always find a, a reason to be more motivated. But I I love that answer that you have like grit won't just come out of thin air if you're not actually intrinsically excited you're not going to work hard for it. But if you know why you're making the decisions you are, that's all the fuel you need. That's right. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I could probably have this conversation for another hour, but I know we're running out of time here. We've talked so much about career growth and just like mindset of navigating these waters in a really refreshing way. I honestly assume we talk mostly about product strategy, which we haven't, and that's totally okay. But I'd love to hear even just if it's for a few minutes, you're overseeing a massive product, you're in charge of the line of business, What are some, and you're responsible for that visioning and really just like direction of the product. What are some of the key considerations that you you use and you focus on when determining your roadmap that gives
0: you predictable success? You have to constantly reinvent. You have to reinvent yourself. You've got to be able to give your customers a reason to believe that the investment that they've made in you or future customers will make in you is the right investment at that time. And that means that you've got to be out in front, right? You can't be reactive. And so a big piece of that is having a multi-year strategy. Like what do you want to be three years from? Because if all you're worried about is what you want to be in the next quarter or the next half year, that's not going to get you far enough out to truly reinvent or innovate in a way that's demonstrative to the customer or to the market. So I would say that's a really large part. For Workfront specifically, we are the enterprise system of record for work, right? The reality is though, AI has hit the scene in a big way. So we've got to decide what's our position of how AI comes together with Workfront. How is that going to work? How does that work from a net new customer in terms of how they come in and configure Workfront in a super simple way, all the way through to what is an assistant look like that comes along users and helps them get their job done all the way downstream to how can AI start to suggest and autocomplete certain brief pieces? How can it start to suggest certain assets that might match the criteria that I've written in the brief, right? So those questions are like, those are not easy questions to ponder and they're not easy to build. And so you've got to start to understand what is the, foundation that you need to lay today so that you can realize that capability tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really big piece for us. And that's just an example of, of what I mean by if you say, what do we need to do? Let's deliver AI. You don't just deliver AI, right? There's intentionality behind how that comes into the product. And you have to have a vision for how that all comes. Through. So I would say that's a big piece of building the product strategy and the roadmap is you've got to have a multi-year journey identified. And then every year, you just add another year out in front and you add another year out in front. So you keep this revolving three-year view as to what you want to be. And then you've got to make sure that your team understands the strategy, right? You can't have the strategy in a vacuum. You got to bring folks into the strategy so that everybody understands and you can scale that across the enterprise so that now all of the knowledge doesn't just sit with a few people you actually democratize that across your organization.
1: I, mean, I love that. Cool. I have, okay, I have a few questions on that. One, I really appreciate you sharing that. As I've gotten to talk to more product leaders at really cool companies, I'm hearing a lot of similarities. Yeah. One thing I took away from, I interviewed had a head of product at Amazon the other day, and her biggest, my biggest aha from what she shared is that they're taught to always think, what does my customer want in five years? And that's our vision and that's our roadmap. So, I love hearing you sharing a similar sentiment. If it's not just what's what are we building for today's customers? What are our competitors doing? How do we need to be reactive to that? But what is the future landscape? And I love hearing you say we need to like buy, we need to get people bought in and why our product is positioned to actually meet those needs. Absolutely. Love that. So, more strategic when you share that or I guess more tactical. So does that look like when you have this multi-year roadmap and you're thinking, okay, we need to deliver AI, but this is like a three-year thing. Does that mean when you're, and maybe people under you, like getting you to buy in on this, but when it comes to actual like execution and what you're funding, are you making it a point to make sure you're funding these things that are going to lead to laying the foundation so that what is that groundwork? What investments do we need to make today to actually be able to realize that and making sure there's like actual resource allocation for those things.
0: Yeah. So what you're getting into has the allocation of run the business versus change the business, right? Of resources. And you're right. There is no such thing as let's allocate everything to change because you won't have revenue today, right? So you have to manage a mix of run to change. I would say that for us, I think we're, I think we're probably about 50-50 today. We're about 50% run and 50% change. The primary reason for that is, be- is that Workfront squarely sits at the tip of the spear for some of the initiatives that we're trying to drive across Adobe and the digital experience business. And when you're at the tip of the spear, that means that we've got to invest heavily in changing the business. Because Adobe is looking to us for creating what those new capabilities are. So as exciting as that is, it also comes with a ton of responsibility and a ton of pressure to make sure that we deliver and we get done, what we need to get done. And so we've got a phenomenal team that does a great job of delivering. And matter of fact, at Adobe, we are seen as one of the fastest delivery applications that Adobe has ever acquired.
1: Wow. That's really cool and very special. Um I'd love to go into more things, but we're pretty much out of time here. I really appreciate everything we've gotten a chance to talk about today. Um, this has been a really refreshing conversation, and I feel like we just got to cover some really interesting topics and go pretty deep in them. Is there any last, any last word, through line of everything you shared today? If you were just starting out, if you were digging into your tech career, a couple of years in, really looking to grow, is there anything else you wish you would have heard or
0: you would like to share with your younger self if you were stepping into that? I think I'll just come back to what we said earlier, that I think an individual's biggest limitation is their ability to dream what it can be. That is the biggest limitation. I am not the smartest person. I'm not the brightest person in the room, right? But I've managed to get to where I'm at today. A, I'm incredibly blessed right to be where I am today been afforded a lot of opportunities but I did not limit myself like when an opportunity came and I thought Ooh, do I think that I can do that I was like sure I could do that we're just gonna go. we're just gonna roll with it and I've had friends ask me they're like that doesn't like scare you to death I'm like no they were like what if you fail I'm like let I fail that's okay you hit the ground you get back up right you keep going and so I think don't be scared. Don't be scared of the unknown. Don't be scared. Push into the unknown. Because when, if you really want to know who you are, push into the unknown. And you'll find out a lot about yourself when you're willing to put yourself in situations that you're like, man, this is really uncomfortable. But you look back on those situations later and you're like, I'm so glad I did that. How about? that.
1: Brent, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate this conversation. I know everyone listening got a ton of value out of this as well. For people who have really enjoyed this and have an appetite to learn more, is there anywhere that you're active sharing any content or even if- Yeah, you're, I, you're, more
0: than, you're more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn.
1: That's probably perfect. the area
0: most active.
1: Uh, that'll be down below. So perfect. Brent, thank you so much and hope you have a great rest of your day.
0: Sounds good. You too. Take care, Delaney. Hmm.